Hey, Tom Show listeners, it's time for Gen Con 2012, and this recording is coming to you straight from the con. That's right. We present to you here an unedited recording straight from the best four days in gaming. But be aware of what that means. We did not dictate the content. We are not censoring for language. And while our editor, Sam, will try to make the sound as good as possible, we're in a large room trying to capture as much sound as possible. So it may not be as crisp and clear as you're used to. With that said, we as always have to give credit to the folks who help us pay the bills around here, and that's Continue Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine for all sorts of gamers. Video, board, card, mini, and of course RPGs. Be sure to swing by ContinueMag.com, buy a magazine, and tell them thank you for supporting the podcast. Well, without further ado, your Gen Con 2012 recording. Whichever one it happens to be this time around. Enjoy! Well, my tech guy's finishing getting set up, and he can take a breath. I'm not going to rush him. Um... I just want to clarify a couple things. First of all, this is going to be an art talk. If you're looking for something other than that, this is the wrong room. So is everybody here for the future D&D art talk? No, we're not talking about products. Awesome, okay. And then second thing is, we're really not talking about art. We're only going to be talking about Harleys. Is that okay, too? That'll work. All right. All right. Just give me your high sign when you're ready, man. Take your time. It says that. <laughs> I am the creative director for Dungeons and Dragons. This here poor man here is a gentleman who, uh, late 2011, uh, when they came to me and said, Hey, John, we killed a couple projects. We have a little extra money. Do you have any extra time in your schedule? I went, No, not at all. They said, Awesome. We want to sit here and start a world building Bible. Now, I've been asking for a world-building Bible for, like, years. World-building Bibles usually take years. They said, you've got three months. I said, we can't do it in three months, but we can get started. And then I called a bunch of concept houses. Aaron enough was foolish enough to be the best concept house for the job at the time. And uh, so they jumped on. Aaron Hubrick is with Conceptopolis, and uh, he's here to chat with us about it, too. He's going to talk about a little bit of the insight they have on their end, but... What I'm going to be talking about today is, uh, oh, I forgot. Let me introduce my other cohorts in crime who aren't here. Uh, the D&D Creative Studio is a bunch of folks who are absolutely super passionate about what we do. Um, most of us have been playing D&D or, or been working on D&D for a bit, half our lives or more. I myself have been doing it in 1975. That's a stupid long time especially when I look out here and see most of you guys are much younger than me. Uh, but this is my team, Mary Kukowski, she's one of my art directors. Um, Kate Irwin, who's actually here at the con, so if you get a chance to see her, um, she's awesome. She's another one of my art directors. Both Mary and Kate primarily work on the print products, uh, the, the Dungeon & Dragon online magazines, and also the, uh, the mini products. Best uh, Kate, especially mini products, she just loves them. She eats and breathes minis. Uh, Dan Jellen is my digital guy, so he works with all my outside partners for all of our uh, our digital games, the the DDO and the Neverwinter and some other things I can't talk about, um, but you'll be hearing about in the future. Uh, Nick Bartoletti is my 3D modeler, and so he he's the guy who gets to work with Mary on making up all the models because uh, we do all of our we shifted about two, three years ago, away from doing all our models as little greens and actually doing them in CAD, uh, which is a wonderful tool for us because now we're able to sit here and go super, super high detail 
Um, we can actually, when we create our models now, we create them at cinema quality so that if in the future somebody were to make a D&D movie or our video game guys sit here and say, hey, do you have an asset? We can provide it for them right off the bat. They're great, they're usable, we can pose them, we can model them, so then we can make, it really cuts our development time, our development costs, so we can try and keep those really stupid, expensive plastics things at more cost effective. Um, so that's Nick's job. Amy Tanji is my, what we call a concept graphic designer. If you're a graphic designer out there and you want the coolest job in the world, learn how to be a concept graphic designer. Uh, it's something that, it's one of the few jobs that we have at, D &D, at Wizards of Coast, specifically in D&D, that you don't see in a lot of places around the world. And her sole job is to sit here and work on blue sky stuff, stuff that doesn't world, doesn't exist, doesn't live anywhere in the world. And I, say, I just walk up to her and say, if I were to create such and such in the world, what would it look like? And she goes, uh, I have no idea, but I'll be back in 20 minutes and let you know. <laughs> and then she runs off and does the stuff. Um, Amy is one of the folks who came up this wonderful little loft. She does all our, all our paper dragon stuff. Um, she is busy shopping we on a daily basis with a child's line worth of D&D stuff she'd love to do. I'd love to do. Now I just got to convince the business team that it makes sense. So one of these days we'll have a children's line. It'd be fun. So, but that's the whole D&D creative team. Outside of that, we have a lot of folks at the company who actually work for it, but this is our core art team right here. Uh, so if you ever get a chance to meet those guys, they're awesome. I have to put my glasses on because I'm getting old. So what this panel is going to be about, I want to clear up a couple of things about what it's going to be, what it's not going to be, because I don't want you guys throwing stuff at me because I didn't say something, all right? Um, what this is going to be, it's going to be a place of what we're going to be talking about. Um, it's just to sit here and say what we're up, what we're up to, what we're doing, who we're, uh, what we're playing with. Well, you're supposed to not go there. So, um, it's a place where you get some sneak peeks, you get to see some stuff that we're working on in the World Bible. I want to tell you right now, nothing is final. So if you see an image pop up there and go, oh, I hate that, awesome, let me know about that. <laughs> you see something, you sit here and say, oh, dude, I love that. Great, let me know about that. Because nothing you're going to see up here is pretty final. How many of you guys read my articles, The Dragon's Eye View? Awesome. Those people... Guess what? Those are the people who are going to be influencing what your art looks like. Because my Dragon's Eye view is where I find out what your art's going to look like. So if you want to get involved, I'm actually going to talk about that in a minute. But if you want to get involved, that's where you get involved. Um, so it's going to be a place where we have a conversation. I'm going to have a big question and answer period. I want you guys to ask lots of questions. I want you to ask me hard questions. I am not afraid to answer hard questions. Because if they get really hard, I'm going to ask Aaron to answer them. <laughs> Good. All right, so what this isn't going to be, this isn't going to be a place where you see final art. I just said that. Not, nothing up there is set in stone. Well, except for one thing. But we'll get to that later. Um, this is a place where, you have an, where your opinion counts, you know, um, as long as it's constructive. If you're going to jump up and start screaming and yell at me, I'm going to ask you to leave. But if you want to have a conversation, let's do it. That's what it's here for. That's what I'm all about. It's also going to be a place where, I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have an art style defined. So if you say, dude, that's really cool, but I don't like that art style, awesome, I don't care. We don't have an art style defined at this point for 5th edition. All we're doing is throwing stuff up there. The art styles that all of these are rendered in was the art styles that his team was producing. I'm not going to ask him to create a different art style just for, for my concepting. Um, we'll have discussions later on down the road as we start getting closer and understanding better what 
we want to do with the art and where we want to go with the art, we'll start having discussions about art style there. And guess what? I will bring that to you guys to have conversations with, too. You'll have a part in that. We'll talk about it, okay? So, um, like I said, I'm going to keep the presentation relatively short. I want to have lots of questions. So, what are we up to? This is what we're up to. I told you, 2011, we started this World Bible. I've been begging for it for a long time. Why is it important? What's important about a Bible, right? They provide a cohesive visual guide for me. That's super important. Guess what? D&D is more than just a role-playing game nowadays. I love that. We've got comic books. We've got video games. We've got novels. We've got stuff I can't talk about, stuff I can't talk about. Um, we got tons of stuff going on, right? If I leave visual development up to, the, out, up to my partners, oh, I need Mr. IDW. He's, you know, he sits here and creates this new monster and he goes off and designs it. Or he, he illustrates what one of my dragons looks like and it doesn't match up with a red dragon. I have a break in my brand. You know, you as a person who pick it up is there and go, that's not a red dragon. Why is he calling that a red dragon? It's not a red dragon. So I have to have a style guide. I have to have a visual Bible that I can cohesively set that in place so that I can go around to all my guys and say, hey, here you go. Create this. You know, hey, you're working on my game? Awesome. Here's this world Bible. Follow it. Live by it. Breathe it. Um, because then it makes their job easier, makes my job easier, things go faster. Um, it also, it, the really, one of the big, really important things about a Bible is it's not just about pictures in our Bible. And I'm going to actually show you an example of what our Bible looks like in a little bit. It's also about words. And it's talking about, it talks about what the legends and lore are. It talks about what uh, things should look like, what their hair colors are, what their skin colors are, what the range of skin colors are, so that again, we can mesh that idea of what's legend and lore and what's visuals. Because if they don't match up, you know, I don't know how many of you guys, I've done it a million times, read a, read a, read a monster description, look at the art and go, that's not the same thing, what the hell are you telling me, right? And so that's what I'm trying to do is make sure we don't end up with that scenario. And that's what a Bible is really good for too. Um, it syncs up, here's a big one. It syncs up our internal teams. Okay, so here's the craziest thing. How, the, for the guys who read my article um, and read the goblins, what do you, most of you guys thought the goblin was okay, but oh wait, it looks too much like an orc, or hey, it doesn't look too burly, or hey, it doesn't this. Everybody had feedback. I loved all the feedback. You know what's one of the best pieces of feedback? Something you never saw. Because as I'm writing my article, and I'm reading James's Wandering Monster article, because that's what mine's based on. James writes Wandering Monster. I read his stuff. We put our art up. I sit here and talk about how we made our decisions. I'm reading James's thing and I'm going, he's talking about bugbears and hobgoblins. And I'm going, wait, that bugbear and that hobgoblin don't match the art. What the hell happened? Where did this disconnect come in? So I go running over to James going, what, dude, why did you change his lore? What happened here? And, he's like, and he starts talking about things going, and we had this conversation. And there it was right in the middle of us where we're sitting here syncing up our, our visuals in our, in our lore and saying it doesn't match. If it doesn't match inside, what the hell is going to happen when we take it outside, right? So that Bible is important for us just as much as it is for our external partners. And that's why we've always wanted, why I've always wanted a visual Bible for years. So that's why Bible is important. Not to mention they're kind of damn fun. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping the lights, can we control the lights? Yeah. Well, you're going to get your video messed up if you do that. Well, maybe not. You got these lights on them. Yeah, I just want to turn them down a little bit there. That's perfect like that. Um, I've got a little video. This is just a rough cut video. Um, There's nothing final. This was for how many folks went to the keynote? 
uh, this past week. Oh. Okay, good. So this is not the same video. <laughs> but this is, a, this is a video that was shot around the same time. This is when we were working on the World Bible. We had the authors there for the Author Summit. And it just talks a little bit about what we're doing. And it can, kind of talks about what we're trying to do with the Forgotten Realms. So just wanted to share it with you so you can see what's going on. Uh, you're not going to be able to hear this, are you? Uh, not unless you have an audio feed to my board. Hey, how do I get an audio feed to your board? <laughs> well, you're going to have to have a mini to XLR or quarter inch and you want to mic it? Mic hey, I can mic you it. can do that. Da -da. That's do Let's try this. <laughs> Man, we're schooled, aren't we? Remember hit record and play. Start to hear it yet? Okay. Pause. Go back. My name is John Shindahedi. I'm the creative director for Dungeons and Dragons, and I review all the visual assets and visual development for the entire brand. What we're really working on here is developing a rule bible for the Forgotten Realms. So basically going back, looking at all the lore over the past 30, 30 plus years, looking all together, distilling it down and saying, okay, what is the true essence of the Forgotten Realms? Nutshell kind of talks a little bit about what we've been doing. So, how you can get involved. I talked about it earlier. Dragon's Eye View. 
the way it works is James, right now, James is writing, well, when it started off, I was just writing about anything, give you an idea of what's going on in our creative brain. So I'm talking about ampersands, I'm talking about colors, I'm talking about logos, I'm talking about, well, what I'm talking about now is I'm talking about the realms and the art in the realms. So James Wyatt is writing an article on Tuesdays, I believe it's Tuesdays, where he talks about, he calls it Wandering Monsters, and he writes an article that talks about the legends and lore around the critters in the, in the realms. And, uh, and I'm following him up on Wednesdays, and I'm most of the time, but not all, every week, I'm writing based on what he's saying. So if he writes about goblins this week, uh, I usually follow it up with, here's the art of the goblins, and talk about what the decisions were, why we made it, what are some of the clues we did, here's some of the different versions of it, blah, 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 blah. Now, I'm going to have fun with you guys. What you're not going to know is when I'm messing with you. Because sometimes I'm going to put up things I know are broken. I'm going to put up things I know I don't want out there. And I'm hoping that you'll agree. But, um, and sometimes I'll put it out there and say, I have no idea what we're going to do with this one. We have, um, we have we'll be talking about the, all the yak humanoids you know, coming up. And we haven't done any concepting on them yet. So I'm going to be throwing up a bunch of re historical reference that we have and say, okay, for your, from your point of view, which, which way should we be going? And so we can start having that conversation too. So it's not always a thing of, here we finished with it, what's your feedback? Sometimes it's we're in the middle, and what's your feedback? And sometimes we haven't even started, and what's your feedback? And uh, so we're gonna just play along and have a lot of fun. And so I'm hoping you guys wanna join in. It's easy, it's cheesy, it's free. You don't have to have a subscription, you just have to log in and read. And if you like it, you put in comments. You don't like it, you put in comments. I get your comments there easy. If you're also on Ian World, I read them there. If you're on all over the place. I have people who send me. <laughs> yes, Tre Trevor is back there waving at me because Trevor is my, uh, my forums, a community guy, and he is really good at sending me a report going, this is what everybody's talking about. They hate you, they love you, they want to throw <laughs> things at you. And he tells me specifically where they want to hit me. Um, but no, it's awesome. So talk about it, blog about it, put in your stuff, send me an email. I have guys who call me on the phone. Please don't call me on the phone. <laughs> I, I, I'm not at my desk very often. You'll just leave really long voicemails. So uh, just have some fun with it. Get involved. I'd love to hear what you got to say. So we're going to do a quick sneak peek. Like I said, I want to get through this stuff pretty quick because I want us to start talking and have questions. So here's a, just a quick sneak peek. It's just a romp. Um, and this is just swimming the concepts. And oh yes, by the way, if you want to share these things with any of your friends, you can do it because, like I said, none of them are final. So I don't care. Uh, you're actually not going to see a ton of art here. As we're doing q and I'm going to put a slideshow up in the back that's just going to flip through tons and tons and tons of concept art because we have thousands. I don't know if you were noticing, they had one time they were sitting there on the at the table and they had all these binders and everybody had a different binder and there were Bible binders out in the middle of the table. Did everybody notice that? Okay. Those are not all the same binder. Those are all the different binders. We had a stack of binders literally stood this tall and that was and that was only the binders of all the arts for the first five weeks of development it's about 60 gigabytes yeah about 60 gigabytes um, that was in january we are now in august i don't even put them in binders anymore i ran out of space um, and just to give you a sense of where we're at 
we had just dipped our toes into it. I think we covered, what, maybe 50, 60 monsters? Yeah. Yeah, maybe 50, 60 monsters. Right before I left for Gen Con, uh, R&D came over to me with a list of, I don't remember exactly, two to 300 monsters that they want to cover before we launch 5th edition. Because they want to have every single monster that's going to be in D&D in this world bible. So we're going to be busy. I'm not sure where I'm going to get all the time or all the money, but we're going to be busy. <laughs> so, um, so we're just scratching the surface. So just keep that in mind as I go through this stuff. But so some of the stuff that we're trying to do is we're trying to look at races and cultures, and this is a really big thing for me because uh, one of the things that I want to do is make sure that when we talk about Forgotten Realms, Forgotten Realms is not. Please remember this. Forgotten Realms is not this little bit portion of Faerun where everybody there is kind of this pseudo-European medieval knockoff. It's not the Ren Faire kickoff party. Okay? <laughs> there are lots of different cultures all over, all over the world. We're not just looking at that one little section. So when I'm talking about stuff, I'm talking about, you know, we're talking about uh, Turmerish, we're talking Rashimis, we're talking Shao, and we're talking, I mean, we're talking about places that we've never shown you before, and these are all things that we've been trying to look at. And again, we've only touched a small portion of them, but we're trying to get into, again, we want to fill out the entire world at some point, and so we want to all have that in our world Bible. So when we're thinking about this, I'm thinking about the standpoint of, you go to New York City, you sit on a corner, and you watch people walk by, it's real easy to watch the people walk by and say, they're not from here. How do you do it? You do it by what they're wearing, you do it by how they're walking, you do it how they're talking. There's all these cues that we use to sit here and say, they're not from here. Now, and I'm not being racist here, but we can also look and sit here and say, now here's somebody who's an African-American who's walking down the town. Now, I know they're African-American because by what they're wearing. They're wearing clothes from here versus somebody who's from Africa who would be wearing clothes from Africa, right? So. When we start thinking about this, we're even talking about from the standpoint of, I want to be able to say, if I'm sitting at, at uh, Waterdeep and a pack of guys comes walking down the thing, I want to be able to look at that pack of guys and say, these guys are all from Waterdeep. Or, these guys are from Waterdeep, but they're immigrated from such and such a place because I can tell by these different influences. Or I can say, these guys just got off the boat and they're, they're here as emissaries or merchants or whatnot. Why? Because of all these visual assets. So. When we're talking about this, we often look at these guys and say, okay, here's a guy who's a Rashimi, and this is a classic cultural dress. Now, would he be wearing that if he were living in Waterdeep? No, probably not. He'd be taking that stuff and living somewhere else. But So we're, we're just trying to develop these core cultures first so that we can understand how they would look as they walked into the town and then how they might adopt them as they live in a town. Does that make sense? Good. Everybody's nodding. I like that. <laughs> so, this is kind of the first start, just looking at this, trying to talk about how things live, how they talk. This is just a small culture, or a small sample of the races that we've been talking about. There's tons and tons more. Um, same thing, we're looking at the races. We don't want to just sit here and say, oh, there's dwarves and there's elves. No, we want to sit here and say, in the world of Forgotten Realms, we know that there's, there's, there's sun, uh, sun elves, there's moon elves, there's wood elves, there's gold dwarves, there's you know shield dwarves. So, we want to make sure that there's cultures and class, there's cultures that are built around even those sub races, so that we understand that very clearly that this dwarf looks different than this dwarf, and this is why. Um, doing the same thing with monsters, we're just looking at each and every monster and having fun with them. Uh, again, we're not looking to change every monster in the book. We're only looking at the ones that sit here and say they don't match up with lore. 
we want to address it. Or ones where we've, through the, t through the years, said, this guy and this guy have ended up visually looking exactly the same, even though they're supposed to be two completely different monsters. That's a problem, too. So we need to address that. So that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to look at and address. Now, just to kind of give you a sense of our process for how we do this, I wanted to show you this, our sneak peek for our tiefling, not our tiefling, our halfling. <laughs> how many people were here when we shifted from second edition to third edition? Okay. How many of these guys hate me for what we did to the halfling? <laughs> Thank you for being honest. So, when we were doing the halfling at third edition, we had been asked to sit here and make modifications to the tiefling. But to the half, why do I have an issue with the tiefling today? It's an ing. <laughs> what was that one? We haven't done any work on tiefling, sorry. Maybe that's why I have it on my brain. Uh, but we were we were trying to address mechanic issues that R&D was, uh, was asking us to push forward and hence we were dealing with that in a visual sense. Um, for me, that visual change was a pain in my butt. Uh, and I'll explain why. First of all, it was just a lot of work to come up with it. Second, um, I got a lot of heat and a lot of flack from it. Third, I had to train a whole bunch of new, I had to train a whole bunch of illustrators how to do halflings differently now. Third, something that we never thought of in a million years was the issue that suddenly we had a halfling that just looked like a human, but it was small, I called it a microhuman. When I took a picture and put a, a halfling inside of it, and that was the only thing that was in it, guess what it looked like? A human. So I ended up getting these comments from R&D all the time. Put a keg of beer in there so that it looks like a halfling. Put a skull next to it so it looks like a halfling. I hated having to constantly put in a size reference next to it to make sure it looked like a halfling. That, to me, told me that halflings were broken, period. Because if it just looks like a small human, how's it? I mean, that's not really a halfling. Which brings me to the, one of my big points. One of the big things that I've been pushing for all the time for Forgotten Realms, well, for visual development at all, whether it's Forgotten Realms or Eberron or Dark Sun, as we do those different settings, we're going to do the same thing for every setting. We're going to create world bibles for every setting so that every setting has its own culture, its own look, its own feel. And so it's not just this ripoff of this and this and this and this. You know, uh, it was one of the things that I wasn't happy we did in fourth edition where D&D was the old world and everything had looked like D&D. I kind of missed the idea that Eberron looked different from Forgotten Realms, which looked different from Dark Sun. So we want to, I want to push to go back to that. Now, I don't get to make all the rules, so don't quote me on that. But that's my goal. So anyways, but one of the things I, I keep coming back to is what is the ethos? What is that core thing that we always want to come back to? Um, whether it's a monster or a culture or a class or whatever. So for me, I kept asking the question, what is a halfling? What is a halfling? And so, I mean, that's my question. What is a halfling? Um, and when I spent time with R&D asking them, what's a halfling, they would come back with these kind of facts. A halfling is three and a half feet tall. A halfling is tied to nature. A halfling is, I need to see my notes better, is peaceful and inquisitive. Light feet halflings are adventuresome. Strong heart halflings are homebodies and kind of, well, kind of boring. I, I didn't think they were that boring, but that's the way it was. And I listened to that and go, okay, I now know they're tall or short, but I don't get a whole lot more from that. So I asked the questions of, you know, 
what is a halfling? And I asked a lot of people that, and I asked a lot of fans that, and I asked a lot of people who are artists, and I started getting a lot of different things. But so when I went to Aaron and said, let's just run yeah. with what's a halfling, and he, so he had his guys just, I mean, they ran hog wild, and they came up with millions and millions of options. Now, this is just one little screen of them, but he was taking direction from me. I actually told him, stick with this current thing. And guess what? They all came back looking a lot like, well, humans. micro-humans, right? This brought up that conversation again. I got to have a R&D say, hey guys, we got micro-humans, and I, I got them to listen. And it was awesome because now he said, hey, these guys might be broken. <laughs> um, so I asked Eric to go back to the, back to the boards. Because, you know, is this a halfling? Might be. Might not be. What do you guys think? Is it a halfling? No. I get yeses and no's. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the first thing these guys started doing is just playing with anatomy. And the basics of this was we weren't trying to really nail exactly what the buys were. We were just kind of talking about what's the basic height, start talking about what's the... You know, what's the body shape, how long are the arms, how short are the arms, how much, how big is the head. Because one of the things that we talk about when we talk about small creatures is one of the ways we get a sense of how tall they are is how, how, what's the ratio of their head to their body. And so we were really push, playing around and pushing with that idea, how do we make these guys look short so that even when I've got them on a picture, they feel short. I'll never look at them and sit here and say, oh, here's a picture and this guy looks like he's three and a half feet tall, but I should look at him and say, it doesn't look like it's human size, at least. So that's one of the games we were playing with, along with just general physique. Now, if you look up there, is any, or are any of those, I hate those terms. <laughs> are any of those body forms really talking to you about how this looks like a halfling? D. I like G. D, D, G. K. 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 Yeah? Or L. L. You guys hit most of them. You know what my answer was? Zero. None of them. Yeah, and that would have been an appropriate answer too. I just went, yeah, they still kind of feel like little humans to me, right? So these guys went, kicked around. Um, it was funny because at that point, Mike came out and said, hey, here's some ideas. No, Mike Merles, that is. Here's some ideas. Here's some ideas to run with. So we gave them a little bit of feedback. They went off and played. Well, we got these guys back. They definitely don't look too much like you little humans now. They start to look kind of cartoony, but that was okay. That was the direction they were just playing with at the time. The thing about it is that was kind of interesting is they started to feel a little less human. They started to feel a little more fey, a little bit more wild-like. They started to feel like they're, you know, they kind of fit, but it still wasn't quite working. So we asked them, kicked them back a little bit some more. We came back with these guys, and the thing I liked about them is we said that last thing really started getting us talking about what really is a halfling. And the thing that kept coming up was, well, hmm, token, hobbits. That's a halfling to most people. And that's like, okay, that's cool. But nobody wanted us to just drop a hobbit right into D&D. And I'm really glad because I wouldn't have been able to do that anyways, right? So, but we, that was, it was that ethos that was really kind of coming up. It was that, that core idea that what's it look like? So when we kicked it back to them, that's kind of what they started playing with was that idea. You know, what you don't see is there are like a million iterations between these two. <laughs> I feel so bad. <laughs> they worked hard for their money. Um, so this was, this was pretty good. I kind of like the direction this was going. 
So I asked myself, what is a halfling again? Now it comes back to that, and what we came to is we thought this was a halfling. And so for the folks who were at the, the thing the other night, you saw these guys hiding around in different places. When you guys saw them, what did you think they were? That's the answer I get most of gnome. Is that what you said? That's cool because we were, we played with gnomes too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I got a lot of ideas that those were halflings. What do you guys think? Do you think those look like halflings to you? Yeah. So let's raise hands so I can get us get a sense because again, like I said, I want feedback from you guys. So who think it looks like halflings? We've got a skull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an artist? No. <laughs> Not visual, anyway. That's because I was going to ask your name and you never work for me again. <laughs> okay, so who are the folks who don't think it looks like a halfling? Okay, got a few, but not a terrible amount, so I feel a little bit better. Okay, so who thinks they don't really care? Okay, good, we got a few. So overwhelmingly, in this room at least, and we'll probably talk about this later on 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 my articles in Dragon's Eye View at some point, but at least in this room, for the most part, everybody says, these kind of feel like a human, a human being, <laughs> a halfling. And so that's what I'm going for. If you're looking at it and say it looks like a halfling, that's awesome. One of the big things when we were talking when we had the authors in there, it was awesome because Ed Greenwood at one point walked up to these guys and started talking about them. He says, okay, so these guys are from this city and started going and blah, 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 blah. And I stopped and said, Ed, how do you know those guys are from that city? He goes, well, they do this, they do this, they do this, and they match in this clothing, and they got this rake, and they got this type of skin color, and all this. And I went, awesome. He goes, why, is that a problem? I said, no, it's not a problem, because that's who they are. There's no text on there. Ugh. There was no text on there. He just knew it by what he was looking at it. For me, that's a win. And that's what I'm looking for. So when you guys look at something and say, oh, that looks like a halfling, that's a win for me. So that's what I'm trying to hit. So the World Bible, what is it really? I told you I'd show you a little bit about it. You're not going to get any great glimpses of knowledge here. This is just to show you some pages. Right. One of my guys, Dan, he's putting this all together. So this is kind of just one of the early entries we got. These are all in works in progress. This is a living document. Just talking about, in this case, the Northmen. Okay, here's the North, you know, Northmen up there by the Sword Coast and whatnot. What do they look like? What do they feel like? Here's a bunch of text. It talks about their culture. It talks about who they are. Uh, we show some of their normal day people. These are not fighters and warlocks, and we talk about classes someplace else. This is just if you walked into a village, who would you see? Oh, here's the town guard. Here's the guy who does the, you know, works in the bakery. Here's the guy who does this. We just wanted to show that. Some of their implements, what their weapons look like, hair colors, skin colors, all that fun stuff. That's what we're talking about there. Classes. Um, here's, a, here's nobody's seen this guy before. Um, but here's, you know, here is just a, an entry for a bard. This is what a bard might look like. Now, here's the fun thing I get to say is, what does a bard look like in a completely different culture outside of a typical European style centric system? Well, you can't see them very well because they're small, but in the black and white ones, I've got like six or seven different areas around the world where I'm sitting here saying, this is what a bard might look like. And so this is the discussions that we get to have. Races, well, Big surprise, here's our halfling again. And this goes into a lot of detail, talking about the halflings, talking about their cultures again, uh, showing the differences between a light foot and a, and a strong heart. Monsters, 
These are giants, by the way. You might be able to tell by the little bitty guy down there for reference. It's kind of like putting a skull in a picture. Uh, you know, we have individual entries for each of the giants talking about them. So that's kind of what our world Bible looks like. Now, that's just to try and give you a little bit of an idea of what we're doing, what's going on. Now, I do have some stuff that I'm going to just throw a slideshow up while we're doing Q&A. I would actually like you guys to talk to me a little bit instead of just staring at the thing and looking at all the pictures. Because uh, what this is really going to be about is just tons and tons of, of the concept art as Aaron and his gang were working on them. And, uh, oh, there. And it'll just sit here and rotate through the thousands of images, <laughs> which is still just a small subset of what we've got because I couldn't fit it all on my computer. So, questions, answers. If you've got them, I'll get them. Red shirt. Um, oh, and actually, I'm going to ask a favor that you come up to the mic so that everybody can hear your question, just because it's a large room, sorry. And I love your shirt, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with uh, some of the previous, yes. Okay. If, if the, you step nice and close, we can hear you good. Some of the uh, previous editions, uh, some of the worlds were very much tied to one specific artist. Mm -hmm. Say, for example, uh, Wayne Reynolds did a lot of the Eberron artwork, so you would immediately know his work was tied to that area. Do you have any? I, I mean, still early, but do you have any idea if that's one of the moves you're going to take with the new edition to try and get a key artist and just identify this style of this artist is going to always be the Watkins stuff or the so that's a great question um, and for anybody who couldn't hear it asking if we're going to take specific settings and tie them to specific artists uh, super early right now I mean my personal inclination is I like to do that um, and part of that I want us to hear and have specific art styles that are tied to specific settings so if I'm doing Ravenloft I want to have dark gothic horror you know I want to have a very gritty dark look and I want to have a specific look that ties that and so I want to have a specific band of artists that will tie to that as well so will I have a specific key artist to say this is the only artist that ever works on this line probably not just because our deadlines don't allow for that but what we will try and do is have as much as possible have a very cohesive look so that if you see this group of artists they'll tie to that but like I said still pretty early but we'll see what we do that's my preference I like to do that that's one of the things I loved I mean I love the fact that with Dark Sun you saw Brahm and went oh it's Dark Sun. It's wonderful. It's gorgeous. Um, you know, you look at Clyde Caldwell. You sat here and did this, and you know, Larry Elmore did this, and you know, blah 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 blah. I mean, that's one of the strengths of D and D through the years was the fact that uh, our brand was so tied to a lot of our artists. And um, over the over the years, we've we've really kind of. I mean, I like the idea of inviting a lot more artists to come in and play in our world. But we got really diluted at some point, and I'd like to get back to the fact. I'd like to get back to we have some key looks and key artists that we really celebrate in our art, and uh, and and help define that look, and, and so that when you look at it, you go boom. You know, I can look at a piece of art and know what setting it came from, probably by the artist, by the look, the feel, the style. So yeah, I would like to get back to that. If you guys like that, do you guys like that? Yeah. Awesome. See, see how this works. <laughs> Just come on up and grab the mic. 
They do? Okay, first I just want to say I absolutely adore what you guys did with dwarves in fourth edition. Uh, yeah, but going back to what you said earlier, I could, if you throw a dwarf without a skull, I can tell it's dwarf. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious what you're talking about, a little more detail about the process for distilling these races and things, how you, how you answer that question, what is, when, when the writer types just say, well, you know, and um, so can you go a little bit more to that, or maybe you should go a little bit more to that, since, since he apparently don't know that on you. <laughs> sure. Um, well, how we normally get uh, a start is we will be inundated with reference material and a description. Um, and then we start playing. Then what we do, I, what I do, is I will assign that to a particular artist that I think that can actually attain that that list, that goodie list that is needed for that piece of art. And then from there, I'll punch it back and forth. Sorry, I keep doing that. Uh, I, I, yeah, PP. Um, I keep going back and forth with the artist and working back and forth with them until we get something that I can present to John. Then he'll kick it around once it gets to Wizard of the Coast, and then it'll come back to us. So there's a lot of a lot of back and forth and a lot of flow, and then eventually we get to something that most most everybody is going to agree on. But at the very beginning part, there's a huge amount of pile of reference that we are given and said, go. When we're doing our job right. One of the wonderful, here's a, here's a little bit of insight. One of the wonderful things is, the reason I've asked for this for many years is, Dungeons & Dragons has never done this. In fact, the Wizards of the Coast has never done this. I mean, Magic has to a degree where they do their style guides for each block, boom, boom, boom. Um, but even theirs is much smaller in scale to what we're trying to do here. It's just immense, it's massive. Nobody has done this, you know, for a RPG at this level. And uh, so it's a big thing. And so the process we did with Aaron, this is why I sit here and say, I, I, poor Aaron, poor Aaron, because he... He had to endure us learning a process. Uh, and so we were learning stuff at the same time, you know, I learned better communication with R&D, R&D learned better communication with me, we learned how to do better handoffs to him and how to give better feedback, you know. And so as we went through the process, we got more efficient and more efficient at it. Right. But it was a nightmare. I'll be honest with you, it was a nightmare. We would end up with screaming matches in, you know, in the R&D pit every now and then because it'd be like, you can't change your mind, you said this, this, and this. And they'd be like, well, we don't care, we want to change our mind. And I was like, dude, we spent three weeks on that, and now you're doing 180 on me. So, and then, hi, Aaron, it's John. I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have to do everything all over. Then I looked at my cheat sheet and went, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it was... It was a learning process. It was, a, it was a lot of. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And just to take that stuff. I mean, we had huge conversations. If you noticed in that video, I had stuff all over the walls, all over the place in in our area, and people would walk through it constantly and stick up ticket, you know, put sticky notes on stuff. Oh, I hate this. Blah 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 blah. Or I love this. This is awesome. This is what the hell is this? Um, they would never put their names on it. <laughs> they just put sticky notes up on it, so it was always kind of fun. I could always tell Chris Perkins, because Chris Perkins has perfect handwriting. <laughs> so I always knew when he put a note on but everybody else, you're like, whatever. You should have seen the stuff I did. I never sent him, either. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. Not really a question, so much a comment. I just wanted to say that just watching this stuff up here, can you, I'm sorry, can you step over? Yeah, certain other companies have a very exaggerated style of some of their art. Certain 
things are vastly out of proportion and things like that. It's almost cartoonish. This is extremely nice. I love this sort of realism, but with also fantastical elements to it. I just wanted to say that win. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, one of, the, one of the discussions we had early on was that we primarily want to take a more realistic approach. Um, I mean, it's fantasy, sure, uh, but I don't want to be WoW. I don't want to be a manga. You know, I want to be D and D. I want to be a more realistic, you know, D and D. Now, if I really want to go hypersized, great big giant bulging guys, awesome. I can do that in comics. I can do that in video games. But for my RPG, for my paper-based game, I want to be pretty darn realistic. And so that's the that's the tenant we're going. That was a discussion that Aaron and I had. You know, and that was what he brought up. Now we have a couple of guys, when you look at them, you sit here and go, oh, their feet are too small, their legs are too skinny. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, we're not sticking to that. That's just the concept. When we start going to, one of the discussions we had at one point when we were playing with gnomes was, okay, these guys got two comic book, How now I need you to render for me more realistically. And so that's the same stuff we're doing as we're moving into, as we're starting to create real images to drop into our Bible and then to put into, into our place for reference for our artists and our vendors is here's something that's real and it's rendered and it should be something that I can see walk around the street and around, you know, might have stylized a little bit, a little bit, but I don't want way over there. Does that help make a lot of people happy? Yeah. yeah. You're not, you're not going to see 20 foot long swords. You're not going to see giant malls that can sit here and take four guys to actually lift. No lizards with crests. No lizards with crests. So actually, you know what? That, that is the most awesome thing to bring up. Really. Because, you know, and it's actually, that's actually a conversation I'm going to have in Dragon's Eye View, and I really want you guys to, you know, encourage people to come read that because I want, uh, I want to get feedback on that stuff because... That's a huge talking point. You know, I had so many people sit here and say, okay, when I have yak people, do they have breasts? Do they have udders? Do they have nothing if they're female? And I'm like, that's a good question. You know, <laughs> when I have snake people, do they have breasts if they're female? I'm like, no, because snakes don't have breasts. You know, lizards yeah. don't have breasts. Yeah, I, I don't always win. <laughs> So I want you guys to be there to answer those questions when I ask them on Dragon's Eye View because when I have people to say, this is stupid, along with me, we can win. <laughs> because I think lizards with breasts are stupid. Mammals have breasts. Thank you. Reptiles do not. Hold on. Wait a second. Dragons are anything. They're not reptiles. Right, so defining dragons, most of the lizards have breasts, we're talking about dragon blowing. Right, right defining lizards as breasts, fine. Lizard women, lizard, lizard folk women with breasts, kind of silly. Yeah. Dragons are like this amalgamation of a thousand different things. Sure. You are establishing that the actual breasts. So, that's a great question, and that's exactly what I want to go to is, does a dragonborn, does a dragonborn have breasts for a female? So create a, a picture of a red dragon with breasts and put it next to the dragon board yeah. and see if it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but, we'll have that, but I think that's a great discussion and we're going to have that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I actually want to see that actually suckling on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, we're gonna, now you're getting me in trouble. There's a show at 10 o'clock. 
Like I, just, like I said, now you get into trouble. <laughs> so, so, your question? So, yes, that was a great question, by the way. Or a great statement. But. Um, so, I know you were talking about uh, Forgotten Realms when you were mentioning the ethnicities uh, sort of thing going on there. In a more general, non-setting, mm -hmm. have you guys uh, considered uh, mixes of ethnicities and cultures that don't actually exist in the real world, say, dark-skinned, pseudo-European settings, um, things like that? Well, Because it's free. It's so, in the... If you're asking me to step outside the realms, anything is possible. Okay. If you're asking me to talk about within the realms, most of the lore, Ed Greenwood has created most of the lore, and he, you know, he's concerned his, he has Texas, and he says, in this area, they look like this. In this area, they look like this. That was about my best Ed Greenwood impression. Um, I can do a snarty joke, and that would be, never mind. Not to do a song. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't break into song either. The, uh, and so, in the realms, there are some interesting mixes of cultures, you know, especially when we start talking. One of the big things I was doing is we had a big map up on, and as these guys were working on the cultures, I had these circles and saying, okay, this is where this culture is, and over here this is where this culture is, and over here this is where this culture. And just like in our world, you have major cultures that are here, here, here. Right. Well, you have these blending lines where cultures mix. Mm -hmm. And what happens there? We're going to have the same thing in the realms. That's one of the big things I want to push for is when I sit here and talk about folks. And they're from here. This, this town is between these two cultures. One of the big reasons we were trying to identify cultures is we could talk about what are the regions of cultures. And so that when I say this town is here at the edge of two cultures, what happens in it? What do the people look like? Do they adopt both cultures, or do they adopt, you know, the clothing of this culture, but they have the looks of the, you know, they have the, the racial tones of this culture? What goes on? And so that's why we can have those conversations because they're identified. Otherwise, what happens is I send an art order to an artist and I say, "Hi, I have this fighter fighting a dragon, you know, fighting an elf, and blah 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 blah." And what their instant default is, "Okay, pseudo-European, right. Renfair knockoff." Don't 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 don't. Um, so instead, now I can say is. Here's this fighter from this culture, and this is what they look like, and this is what kind of weapons they use, and because they live in this region that's nothing but sand, obviously they don't have access to these types of materials, so they wouldn't have these types of weapons, they wouldn't have this type of armor. You start to get the sense of you have real life stuff, and that's what I want to be able to create for you guys, because that's how I like to play. Is that how, you, I mean, I hope that's how you guys like to play. Yeah, because when I, when I play, I'm playing about, I want to do real stuff. Right. Is there not also work being done on a on a generic setting as well right now? Or are you guys only doing the product? Right. Yeah. No. Right now, uh, if you weren't at the talk, you wouldn't have heard Mike talk about it. But what we're, what we're doing right now is we want to devote everything to Forgotten Realms right now. Not that we're saying that's the only okay. setting we're going to ever create. What we're saying is we want to do the best setting. So we want to devote all our resources to one setting, get it locked down, get it nailed down, get it right, and then say, awesome. What's our next setting? And then create the best and do the same thing for that setting where it's rich and it's vibrant and it's deep. Because what we want to be able to do is create stories based on these settings that are deep and rich and fulfilling so that we can go and build adventures. Even if I don't want to set my world in Forgotten Realms, what I've got is a whole bunch of material that I can steal and lift up and drop into my home game and say, that's an awesome culture. I'm not going to call them Rashimi. I'm going to call them whatever I want to. But I'm going to lift it up, put it in here, and run with it because it's awesome for my home game. If you want to run a Forgotten Realms, you have so much darn culture and life to run in. You can sit here and run for years and years and years just in a little bit zoned. So that's what we want to create is the 
huge place for stories to live in. And if, if I create a setting that's just this thin, just to get it out in, so I can create six settings in the next two years, we don't have the time to make them rich and deep and, 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 and fun to play in. So yeah, for right now, we're just doing Forgotten Realms. After that, Mike loves Greyhawk. That might be the next one. I don't know. Don't ask me. When you have uh, strongly polarizing issues, whether that's um, dragons and with mammalian features, or there might, there might be something else that was even more so. I can tell you why it's even more polarizing. What's that? Appropriately armored women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have people have widely disparate views on that. Yeah. Um, within D and D and uh, just for fans. What would be the process that you go through or prefer for reconciling that, for addressing it, if it's if it's not just overwhelming on one side? Yeah, no, and that's an awesome question. I love that question. And the owlbear was a great, I mean, it's not the same, I, this is a world-ending event, right? But it was a great one because even inside, oh, that was my foot. Um, even inside, in R&D, when we had discussions about the owlbear, there were the guys over here that said owlbears should look like bears with an owl's head. And then we had these guys over here that said, no, owlbears are stupid. They should be some, they should be an evolutionary creature, not something that was just hodgepodge together. So it should look like a, a creature that evolved, that somebody just looked at and said, oh, it's, you know, if I saw it in the dark and it freaked me out and I ran away and, you know, and I lived, but I only saw it for like five seconds, I would describe it in terms that would make it sound like an owlbear. But it's not really an owl and a bear stuck together. And those were two camps that, I mean, yelled and screamed at each other. I won't say what side I was on. But the sketches of the slideshow, I noticed them all over Yeah, they're all over the place, right? And that was the whole, we ended up having, we actually got to the point where the screaming was so loud, we said, Aaron, we can't come to terms with it here. We couldn't get an answer. Give me two different tracks. He ended up giving me like three or four different tracks of here's these all these things. And Mike and I agreed at that point where we were going to take it out to you guys, show them up and say, what do you think? Guess what I got? <laughs> no, neither. <laughs> what I got was, uh, we don't like either of the tracks you, you're showing us. Show us something else. So then I went back and said, all right, awesome. Here, let's talk about historics. Here's the first edition. Here's the second edition. Here's the third edition. Here's the fourth edition. Here's some more stuff that I got these guys to dream up, and I got Richard, my concept guy, to dream up. And I threw them all up there, and you guys gave me some feedback. And then we went back and did another round of it. And we got more feedback, and we did it another time. And then we finally ended up with where we're at here, because this is what most people wanted. Now, thank you. <laughs> No, I'm not going to do that very long. <laughs> but I will do it with the really divisive ones. The ones where there's a strong sentiment about what's going on, whether it's a, a monster or an issue or whatever. I want to hear what you guys got to say because this is our game. And when I say our game, I'm saying that as a player, not as a damn Art Watsy guy. This is our game. I've been playing this game for, since 1975. I want to have fun with my game. I don't want to look at it and cringe every time I see it. I don't want you to cringe about it. I don't want, I don't want to get hate mail. I'll always get hate mail. But I don't want to get hate mail all the time because somebody says, John, what the hell was up with that? Blah, 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 blah. You know, so that's why I want it to be our game. Let's make our damn game and let's have fun with it. So if it's a really divisive one and I end up where I sit here and say, I've got this camp and I've got this camp and I can't find the middle ground, it's going to happen sometime. I know it's going to happen sometime. If I can't do it, ultimately I'm going to have to make a decision. 
and I'm going to hope that I make more than half the people right. We'll try to make it look good. But yeah, you know, <laughs> but but I think I've, I mean I've, I found that I mean there's places where we all have our opinions, but I think ultimately we're all adults in the room. Well, I'm kind of adult. Um, we're all adults in the room. Sooner or later, we come to the point where we recognize the fact that we can't make everybody happy. And we just we make a decision and we go with it. And guess what? If you don't like it, do it your own way. If you don't like the way I do the Albert, awesome. Pick your own picture up and say, this is what a real Albert John is. John doesn't know about it. Forget it. Let's go. That's the great thing about D&D again. You know, if you don't like the way I portray something, you get to portray it whatever you want. You want your dragonborns to have breasts? Awesome. You don't want your dragonborns to have breasts? Awesome. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's what the great thing about our game. I love our game. Um, my question is about, um, I love the fact that my favorite part about Forgotten Realms is the integration with the, the separate cultures that are there so defined and everything. For me, a big part of also Forgotten Realms with the culture is also how religion ties in with each of those cultures. Now, I've played 2nd edition, 3rd edition, and I've seen a pantheon, you know, fleeced down to certain gods in here and there. Is that something that you're going to address where, you know, certain cultures are always dominated or influenced more by the religion of the area and other cultures it's not? How, how does religion play into a new forgotten realms where it was so diverse, maybe too diverse, and now it's down to so you're, pantheon. You're, how, how do you... Yeah, so you're, asking, you do? So you're, you're asking me two questions here. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I'm willing to answer both of them. How about that? Hey. So your first question is, uh, are we going to change the, the number of gods, change the number of religions? And we went from big, we went to small. So if you, have you heard about the sundering? The sundering. The sundering. The sundering. Uh, so the sundering is going to address a lot of that right there. I mean, the way the gods are involved and the, the way they invo are involved with the people in the world is going to be a whole can be defined in that. Those aren't written yet. I don't know the answers to that part of the question. Now, on the visual side of the world, though, what I'm really harping about and what I've really been I've been driving James Wyatt crazy about this lately is I want to know every god we're going to have in the world. I want to know what's their uh, mythology. I want to know what they're about. I want to know what their, you know, what their foibles are. Because what I really want to do is I want to be able to sit here and say, okay, I've got a paladin of this god and a paladin of this god. How do they look different? Why are they different? Do they have different symbols? Do they wear their symbols differently? Do they have different weapons? Do, what, you know, um, does this one only wear black? Does this one only wear green? You know, really understand and give those religions and those cultures again in this way, in this case, a religious culture, and tie them together and say. How do they express themselves? And are we going to express, you know, if we've got Helm over, who's dead? I'm not giving any spoilers out. But if I Helm over here and I Helm over there, in this cult, in these two different cultures, do they express them the same way or do they express them differently? And I want to know that stuff because that's stuff I build out and put in, into my world Bible because if you're in this part of the world and this part of the world and they express them differently, awesome, I just want to know that so that you guys can know that so that you can run with it. But again, it's the idea if I've got a paladin, I've got a paladin in this part of the world and a paladin in this part of the world. They may look completely different because of their cultures, their environments, the tools they have access to, the weapons they have access to, and then also the way they address their gods and deal with their gods. It might be completely different. And so I want to be able to show that and express that in a, in a continuous way. Again, rich and live in the game, make it more fun to play so that you and me, 
I walk into a bar and you walk into the bar, the, prefer, you know, the proverbial way we start every campaign, right? I walk into a bar. You ever notice they never have a duck on their shoulder or anything, though, um, like most of your good bar jokes do. Uh, but if you walk into a bar and I walk into a bar, I want us to, you know, you're a paladin and I'm a paladin. I want people to look at me and say, you're from this culture, you're from this culture. You might still have the same God, but you look completely different. Or we walk in together and we go, oh, he's obviously tied to that God, and he's bad, and he's tied to this God, and I really like him. Um, I want people to react that way. It's, the, it's my idea of always going back to, if you're walking down the street and I look at you, I should be able to tell what the heck's going on right off the bat. I love the direction. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, my question is about, uh, so you have cultures and how they relate to one another. Are you going to do something similar for the monsters of the world? So your ogres interacting with your hobgoblins, your goblins, your stuff like that. So there will be that side of the thing. Yeah, so um, this kind of goes back to last week's article. Um, James had written in Wandering Monsters, he talked about goblinoids, the whole family of goblinoids, how hobgoblins and bugbears and goblins and all those guys related to each other in our legend and lore. And then on the visual side, we try and do the same thing of talking about how they work together. Right now, they don't. Aaron didn't know that until today. <laughs> but I had to, I've basically thrown the goblinoids out the window. We're getting to start over. Um, and uh, oh, so much work. Uh, but that's okay because it's going to be awesome in the end, right? But that's it goes right back to that thing of how do these guys relate, what are their cultures like. You know, I even want to, again, I've been asking James, because he's my story guy, he's got the story guys, you know, what's the culture of a goblin? Right now we sit and say, oh, there's 25 goblins attacking such and such, and you go, oh, yay. Well, I'd really like to be able to start showing more of the world in my art, instead of just, it's always this guy fighting this guy, or this guy fighting this guy, or this guy fighting that guy. I get sick and tired of that. Does anybody else agree with that? Yes. Thank you. Would you like to be able to see more of the world? Yes. Would you like to see more of the environment? Yes. Would you like to see more of the everyday people? Yes. Oh, thank you. I like you guys. <laughs> I do too. I really do. Um, and that's one of the things Mike and I have had a lot of conversations about, and that's one of the things that we're driving towards at this moment right now. Things, are, things may change, but that's what we're looking at right now. And so I want to see that. I want to have a write up this that Sarah says. This is what goblins look like. This is what their culture is like. This is what, if they have a, t a town or a, or a fortress, fortress, I mean, they are goblins, right? If they have a fortress, what would it look like? And so I can describe that so that we can talk about how goblins live. Now, I also want to be able to talk about how goblins live with hobgoblins, and I want to be able to show that visually. You know, we talk a lot, I talk a lot about the story part of it, but the thing that we do is we try and show that visually and make it work. I mean. And that's one of the big things that Aaron was constantly asking me. He'd ask me a million questions. Well, what's that look like? What's it smell like? What's it taste like? What's it feel like? You know, okay, he didn't ask me those questions specifically, but it was along those lines. Um, and we'd have a lot of that interaction because as, as artists, if we don't understand the motivations behind things and the ethos that's got to create it, it's hard for us to say, yes, I can create a goblin because I go back to halflings and say, they're three and a half feet tall. They live in the forest. These guys are adventuresome. These guys are boring and live at home. You can't create anything out of that. There's no emotional connection. So we, I'm always trying to get back to what's the emotional connection. Thank you. Yeah. 
unless you want to have enough to start with, but you want to leave enough room so that when you develop it visually that there's a, oh, that's kind of cool, or oh, that's that's not what we expected at all. So there's some, that's where kind of the magic happens. Go for it. Okay, uh, this is more of a feedback point more than anything else. One of my favorite books from third edition was The Magic Eye of I love that you guys actually took the time to draw pictures of magic items. And that was a really cool book. I'd like to really see, and again, this is just a feedback, I would really like to see more pictures of even mundane items. Yes, me because too. Because I get this thing where, especially when I'm bringing somebody new into the game, they're like, well, what's a cow truck? And of course, everybody at the t- table snickers except for them, because we all know what cow trucks are, because we've been playing forever. Or, you know, what, what's a halberd like? I'd like to see more of that in the game so that we have actually, you know, references for, for the new players. And even for players that, you know, maybe aren't as advanced or maybe we just want to see, you know, something cool, you know, art-wise as far as a, a magic item or Monday night. Yeah. And I saw some of that up there. It was really yeah, that's, I was trying to get back to it, but I skipped it apparently at some point. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I like the schematic look that y'all had at one point. <laughs> Really nice. I'm just going to start it over. You can watch it again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was one of the big things that I was talking about was when we were looking at the stuff, I asked Aaron and those guys specifically for, I want you to show me everyday items. You know, what's a belt buckle look like? What's a, 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 a necklace look like? What does a bracelet look like from this culture? And we actually broke it down by cultures. Here's these things from this culture. Here's these things from this culture. Uh, because if I were ever to have the most amazing D&D movie in the world. I'd love to be able to sit here and say, you see that brooch that that person wear? Go, you can go buy it over here. But if we never show that, and we never make it part of the world, you'll never see it. You know, I love the idea that when I look at a character, I want to get beyond just, this is a fighter. I want to get into, one of the things, whether you love Wayne Reynolds or not, and I know he's, he's one of those divisive guys, uh, whether you love him or not, one of the things that Wayne is just stellar at is giving lots of character detail. You know, you can look at him and say, oh, look, he's got this cup hanging off his belt. Why has he got a cup hanging off the belt? Because he's got a little bit of an alcohol problem, you know. <laughs> oh, and oh, you notice he's got a little bit of lipstick on, on his collar, too, because, well, he has a little bit of a woman problem when he's drinking his beer, too. I can get a sense of who the character is, and what I like to do is I like to create these items and elements so that when I'm looking at stuff, it gives them more more depth than just the, yes, I'm a fighter. It gives them a fighter with a story, and so I like to be able to tell that story visually. Hello. Um, uh, two things. First of all, I've been playing D&D and other RPGs for, since I was seven years old, a long time. Um, this is the first time I've ever actually seen artwork and everything, where it seems less like a setting, like a book with you know pages and descriptions more like a world of people living in it yeah like it's actually alive and you know you know it, like there's things other than you know just your little party going on i think that's amazing and it's really cool but um like i think you, i think you just said thank you Aaron. oh <laughs> thank you <laughs> but um like uh when you guys were designing everything um did you take like an evolutionary path did you you know come up with a design and kind of go backwards in history to see, you know, how they would look or how the cultures would look even, you know, throughout the entire time? Um, not yet. 
a lot of what we did when we were doing that, especially like the culture stuff is, we tried to pull together lots of reference, you know, we always have to base things on real world, you know. It's, it's fantasy, but we always have to base things on real world, because what I've found through my years of doing this is that people can accept, they can, they can suspend disbelief only up to a point. So if I say, hi, this is a human being, and they're, they dress like this, and you know what they dress, and you understand the clothing, and they have eyes that are this color, but they have blue skin, you're willing to go, oh, okay, I understand this, 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 and I don't understand that. I'm willing to suspend disbelief for a couple minutes about that because I understand everything else and I believe in it. But if I come to you and say, you've got this guy, and it's a race you've never seen before, and it's a skin color you've never seen before, and they dress in a way you've never understood, and what you end up with is you end up with something so totally alien right. that it becomes hard to suspend disbelief. Tipping point, right? Yeah, you hit that tipping point. Yeah. And so what we try and do is we try and juggle the amount of real world reference with the amount of imaginary stuff. And so often when we were talking about races and stuff, we would look back into our human cultures because there's amazing stuff out there. I, you know, I love, I have just books and books and books. And my uh, Dan, who's on my team, he's got twice as many books as I do just about cultures out in the world. I mean, my National Geographic reference is just immense because there's crazy sheep herders in Finland that have cultures that are, you know, thousands of years old that nobody's ever seen before because unless you happen to see this drop into them, they just don't get seen, you know? And we're trying to get all these really obscure uh, cultures and bring them together and say, okay, this is these are the things that mix together. <laughs> Again, poor Aaron. So I'm pulling together these vastly different references and say, okay, you see this? I like this, but I only like this, this, and this, and I don't like the rest of this stuff. And you see this? I like this and this, but I don't like the rest of this stuff. Now, figure out how to mix them. <laughs> but don't make it so that I can tell that either of those we used as reference. <laughs> it gets tough. Well, the dwarves, especially with the, the amount of um, the detail, the, the specific dwarves, I mean, there's different, every race, every human, every, I mean, it's, it, it's mind-boggling how many interpretations you can have, but it has to work for everyone, and that's, that's the challenge, but it's fun. It's fun. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I absolutely love it when you can see, which I can see with a lot of these, a particular piece of ornamentation that a culture wears, and if I throw in something that has that, they're able to, the, the players are able to say, oh, I recognize this, this must have been left here by an elf. Past. Exactly. Yes. Um, architecture, I like it for the architecture to be distinct to the culture. I know that that's not where you are yet, but. We're working on that too. Yes. Perfect timing. Yes, and, these, and just so you're aware that the ones you're seeing here, these are just human ones where we sat here and said, okay, if, if this culture over here, which has access to this material, this material, this material, what kind of houses would they build from those? Oh, they would build this. Now this culture over here, which has access to these, oh, and by the way, this area is really cold, this area is really hot, but how does that affect it, you know? So we were trying to think of all those things with the idea again of, if I dropped you into, if I dropped you into the middle of the world and then showed you and you walked into a little village, I want you to be able to say, I can guess approximately where I'm at without even having a map. Just by saying, oh, I see this type of architecture, I know what's going on. It's, I may not be able to say it's this town, but 
it's up in the Sword Coast area because it matches something like this. Uh, I hate, hate, hate generic fantasy. Uh, there's nothing worse than you walk in, I walk in, and there's this, you know, it's a two-door house. Okay, great. And then I walk across the continent, and I walk into a city, and there's a two-door house. Okay, great. And then I cross the sea to another continent, and I walk into a town, and there's a two-door house. I don't like that, so, yeah. So with all of that, what I'm wondering is, um, I think it would be criminal if the only place that we can see what those final decisions are that are in your Bible is in the results of your artworks. How much commitment do you think there is beyond your team to making a lot of this detail that you're creating available to us other than visually? So, I can't answer that officially in any way, shape, or form, but I can tell you this right now. When I walked in and had to do a presentation for my, my CEO, and I walked into in there with that stack of books and binders, and I put them all out, he looked at me and said, we have to get this out to the public. So, whether it's a making of book, or whether it's a, a, a world bible, or an encyclopedia of Faroon, I don't know what it might be, but I think stuff like this is going to get out. And that would be, I would be really excited about it. And I'd be really excited about sharing the stuff that these guys and other artists that I've got working for me are doing because this is the stuff that's magic to me. And it's absolute magic to me. I love it. You know. Okay, and then just one other short one. Um, before Fourth Edition came out, there were a couple of books that gave a lot of visuals ahead of time. And some of that, we never really saw things quite at that scale afterwards. Um, but there are a couple in particular that I'm pretty sure it was in one of those books that there was a, an image of a, a gorgeous dwarf. She was just sexy. And that's something that we as female gamers often like to see is something that, oh, I want this to be my character because she's hot and she's a dwarf or she's a half dwarf or one of the races that isn't normally pictured that way. So that's a request. So, <laughs> so let me make sure I understand what your quest is. So your quest is to treat even non-humans in a beautiful manner. If it's something that's going to be a PC race, yeah. and it doesn't have to be, it shouldn't be every picture, yeah, yeah. but there should be examples of these are real people in the world, and some of them are the beautiful members of the race, and I want to know what the standard of beauty is. Yeah, I get that. I want to know that. Yeah, in fact, one of my one of the things I'll even commit commit to you is that I want to address characters as if they're real people. So I want to have skinny ones, I want to have fat ones, I want to have tall ones, I want to have short ones, I want to have buff ones, I want to have not so buff ones, where it makes sense. It obviously doesn't make sense to have a, I'm a fast and furious fighter who's really ripped up and do this, that, and the other thing, but I'm actually really big and got a 10 gallon gut, right? That doesn't make sense to me. But now if I had a fighter who was this big barrel chested, you know, guy, that's awesome. I don't, we don't all come in a one-size-fits-all, one and I don't think our world should be a one-size-fits-all. And that's one of the things I, you know, again, one of the things I've been working to change over the last year or so, and we're starting to see that where I'm getting into things. One of my biggest fights is with my artists. And this is why, because I'm an artist too. We love to draw beautiful things. And we have a bias for what we think is beautiful. And so when I have... I have to talk to these guys and express to them that I want some real world people in there and to stop using their 
supermodel reference and to you know do this and do that. So that's going to be something that's going to take time for us to change. The other thing to remember is that whatever I tell you today, if I were to start making the product today, it takes 18 months for you to see it. So just because I tell you something today and you don't see it tomorrow doesn't mean I'm not listening to you. It means it takes a, it takes time for things to go through a development process. So even if I came to you today and said, everybody's going to be pink in the Forgotten Realms, you wouldn't see it for 18 months anyway, at, at the earliest. You actually, you'll never see everybody, everybody being pink, but that's the idea. I see a lot of art that shows male elves as somewhat less masculine. And uh, I don't see anything wrong with Brad Pitt with pointy ears. <laughs> because uh, guys like eye candy. And as a woman, I see nothing wrong when you race on your characters. I have characters I play that I play as sexually as possible. They think they're hot even if they're a half-orc. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and uh, I just I don't see anything wrong with the eye candy for either sex. Yeah, no, I don't. I, but I don't think everything should be eye candy. Yeah. Is that the, can we have that agreement? Yeah. 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 I thought the female dwarfs were beautiful and very strong-willed and mature, in the yeah. and I like to see that. You know, one of the things I I had a conversation this past week, and I thought it was awesome because a guy kept talking. He was talking to me about being sexy, sexy, sexy. You know, and I I got to start getting a little bit turned off. And then he said, and he realized that I was getting turned off. He says, "Let me explain something to you." He says, "You know what sexy means?" I said, "I said, well, I have my definition." He says, "Great. Well, let me tell you my definition." He says, "My definition of sexy is attractive." He says, "And I don't mean attractive as in looking at. I mean attractive as in I draw people to me." He says, I can do it through character, I can do it through the way I carry myself, I can do it through the way I express myself, I can do it through the way I dress myself, I can do it through the way my body looks. He says, but sexy is about an attitude. Sexy is about uh, how we present ourselves to the world and how we get people to say, ooh, I want to be with that person. It's not about how small the outfit I got. And so when I look at people, you know, when people sit here and say, I don't want things to be sexy, I go, no, 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 no. I want things to be sexy. I just don't want them to be inappropriate. Right. You know, I want you to sit here and look at a female dwarf and go, you may not say, oh, dude, she's hot, but you sit here and say, she's awesome. Yeah. Right. You know, and I'd like to be her, or I'd want to run around with her, or, you know, if I were going to date her, I'd date her. <laughs> you know, but I don't have to do that with a string bikini. Yeah. You know, I do that with a force of character, the way she carries herself, the, you know, the, the, the look in her eye. So there's a million ways we can make things sexy without just being little bitty small bikinis. Come on, that's crazy. Especially if they're fighters, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's protect the breasts because everybody goes for the breasts to kill somebody. <laughs> right, thank you. Um, you're developing a... a he, now, he makes me nervous, see, because he's not only asking a question, but he's recording me at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> of I know. Um, you're creating a visual Bible for D&D Next. Yeah. At the same time, you're creating visuals to define the Forgotten Realms. So actually, let me step back for half a second. Okay. I'm creating a visual Bible for Forgotten Realms. The fact that the two of them are on the same track is more of a matter of happenstance. When they came to me, and then when I went to him, it wasn't about D&D Next at the time. It was about Forgotten Realms. We were saying... We want to we want to codify Forgotten Realms. 
oh, hey, by the way, this would be really useful for D&D Next. At the time, when we first started talking about D&D Next, we, weren't even talk we hadn't even had conversations about a setting, a world, or anything. You know, at the time, we were still thinking it's still the core world, which is what we got now. It wasn't until we were in the development that they said, hey, you know, Forgotten Realms might be a great way to start here, you know, and it's not the default world, it's just Forgotten Realms. 5e, or D&D Next, or whatever the heck you want to call it this week, because we don't have an official name, by the way, you know that, right? There is no official name? Okay. D&D uh, Next is, it's a rule set. It's not a world, it's not a setting, it's just a rule set, and that's the kind of the view we're taking on, and that's why we're doing our playtesting, we're not saying, oh, in Terrell, or in Eberron, or in blah blah blah, or whatever, you know, it's just, here's the rules, here's to go play them. Now, here's an adventure that's set in a world, but that's not what the rules are about, they're about the world. And so, the World Bible is about forgotten realms. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's going to be art in the books. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> no. no, seriously. Here, stop for half a second. Let's just play a hypothetical. This is not the case. It's a hypothetical. Everything I say is hypothetical. Nothing's in stone. Remember, we talked about this. <laughs> Here's a hypothetical. What if I told you I'm going to have a core book that uh, has no art in it? None at all. It's just got rules. And I sold it to you, black and white, really minimal price. You buy your rule set, you run off. Because if you're a home gamer, you don't care what my setting is, right? You're going to make your own world anyways. All you care about is the rule set. And if you're playing Forgotten Realms, you're going to want something else. So hypothetically, I could just sell a book that's nothing, has no art in it, it's just got rules in it. And then I could sell you a big giant tome of Forgotten Realms and say, here's all your bloody art. <laughs> hypothetically. How much? I mean, I have no. <laughs> I have absolutely I'm, no idea. Yeah, yeah. That would be terrible. Yeah, I think that would be horrible. I mean, who wants a what's a wall of text? Give me something to break up the monotony. I agree with you. To pull yourself <laughs> into I just, mindset. No, I get that. Trust me, I didn't say we were doing that. I'm not saying we were doing that at all. I wouldn't even say go that far as to even say we might be thinking about that. I'm just saying I don't necessarily have to. Now, if I decide to, here's a core rule book, and I'm just going to put art into it. I might say it's from my Forgotten Realms stuff, but that's awesome, not a problem. It's just a core rule book. You buy it, you run off, Woo, yay. A year later, two later, years later, I come out with Greyhawk. Maybe I produce a core rule book that's done in Greyhawk now. So that now you can look at it and say, okay, I'm not gonna play that, I wanna play this and I wanna have my inspiration for that one, so I picked that one up. I don't, I don't know, we're not even talking about products right now. <laughs> We're not, I mean, literally, we're not talking about products right now. We're talking about rules. You know, Mike doesn't even, we've had conversations about what kind of, you know, what kind of skew mix should we have when we launch? <laughs> we don't even have rules yet, guys. Come on. I don't know. So, it, but it seems fairly likely then, in a hypothetical world. In a hypothetical world. Where there is art in a book. <laughs> yes. It will, be, it will probably be based from my world Bible right now. It will look like the Forgotten Realms. Yes, for at least right now, unless somebody comes to me and says, John, while you're building the, the Forgotten Realms Bible, you need to come up with another one. Which, crazy as it sounds, might be possible. I would scream and run from the building, but it's possible. <laughs> so, you know, they might come up to me and say, oh, we're going to set, we're going to have a core world. I don't, I don't see it right now, but it's possible. My question is more of a technical one. Um, I've been noticing trends, not just in D&D, &D, but almost everybody 
tends to use Photoshop to color everything now. Uh -huh. And I find that um, because everybody uses the same tools and the same color palette, there's sort of like a homogeneity to a lot of the artwork out there. Agreed with you. Is there any chance that you guys could do some like hand-drawn, hand-finished artwork in your upcoming products? Please. <coughs> I'd love to say yes, but I'll never be able to say it. And here's the truth of it. Um, whether it's traditional or whether it's digital, it's a tool, right? That's how I always look at it, you know. Whether I choose to use acrylics, oils, pastels, watercolor, a Cintiq, a Sumit, you know, a Wacom tablet, it's, they're just all tools. Um, the goal for me and my job and the thing that I've been asking my art directors to do is to start looking at, and again, a lot of this will come fall out when we start talking about styles later on. Because if I sit here and say, I want this style, I don't care where, whether you use acrylics, oils, whatever, you've got to match my style. Um, and if my style is not that photoshopped, airbrushed 1970s look, I was around in the 1970s when everything was airbrushed, I know what it look is, and that's, that's what the photoshop look is right now. It'll come in and it'll go, it's just the way it is. Um, but I have to come back to, I can't tell an artist what tools to use, because the artist, if you want to make as much money as humanly possible, don't ever become an artist. Yeah. You know? I've been through that. Yeah, well, me too. That's why I'm an art director now. <laughs> because when I, when I got to the point when I realized that I was, I was not awesome, I was, you know, but I was pretty darn good. And when I sat here and looked at how much time it took to make the money I was doing, to do the work I was doing, and I realized I could make more money with flipping burgers at McDonald's, I decided that I'd rather do something else. Most of the guys who are doing our, in our industry who are painting, they're painting because they love it. They have a second, they, no, I take it back, they have a first job. And they work 40 to 60 hours at that, and then they come home and draw at night because they can't afford to live on our stuff. So the reason they use Photoshop and tools like that is because they can do them faster, they take drying times out of the mix, they can turn stuff faster, they can get more work done so they don't have to work 120 hours a week. They can try only work 100 hours a week. So. But what I can say is, what I do want to do is start pushing things that, pushing for artists that use that, that mentality and that ethos that they pull from traditional and bring it into their digital stuff so that when I look at it, I go, the tool's not getting in my way. You know, I don't like to see people using the blur tool or any filters, you know, from Photoshop in there because then it, it obviously looks digital to me. I don't want to look obviously digital, you know, and Aaron, actually, why don't you chat about that one too because I think you've got some... Because the stuff that his guy's doing, some of the stuff looks very digital. Some of the stuff doesn't. You couldn't tell if it's digital or original. Right. Or, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm old school, if you want to call it that. And and I grew up, you know, loving the Easley covers and, you know, Elmore and all these guys. And, and that's, you know, it's, since I'm the, the go-between, if it's, if it's distracting to me, I want the art to look good, too. And I don't want it to look so digital. So we, we definitely share that. But from a logistical standpoint, from just being able to do the quantity of stuff, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a blessing to have Photoshop and those tools available because, I mean, just the speed in which, I mean, and, and to be able to adjust and just tinker and be able to get it, that, that, that look, that final look, um, to be able to do that... Even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you would have had to have, 
you know, erased a spot on your painting. I mean, it would have taken three days just to do what we do, and technically, we can do it sometimes in an hour to three hours because you would have had to ship off or take Polaroids of your painting. The old FedEx days, you know, when it was transitioning to digital, uh, we were we were shipping stuff in FedEx packages, CDs in FedEx packages. That's, that's just seems ridiculous. With, paintings with FedEx packages. Yeah, paintings that way too. So you'd wait days to get feedback and hope and just keep your fingers crossed. And that's why you have you had a core group of elite painters because those those guys were getting the jobs all the time. And if anything, it's actually opened up a lot of opportunity for many artists all around the world, which is it's, it's a, that's a good thing because it, it allows for art directors to have more of a choice to be able to get that that look that they're looking for. So, but I mean, I'm going to tell you right now that homogenous look that everybody has. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. It's I when I do a lot of portfolio reviews, one of the big things I tell artists a lot of times is. You do really nice work. It looks like a thousand other people. What are you going to do to make it look different? No. So, yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I'm, that's again, I have something I'm pushing. 18 months from now, you'll start to see things that are a little bit different because I like to try and push things that way. You know, if now if you all came up and stood up and said, I'm willing to pay 50% more for my product so that I can offer artists a significant increase in their fees so that they can take the time to do oil paintings and acrylic paintings, I'd love to do that. But guess what? I don't have that kind of money, and I can't. If you know, I think it would be ludicrous for me to say, "Hey, would you be willing to pay 50% more so that you can get a bunch more traditional stuff in there so it doesn't look like Photoshop?" Well, here's the there's other a, thing. There's a tipping point of, yeah, what would I be willing to do and what would I be willing to pay for? I mean, I love the stuff, but I can only, I, mean, I can only pay so much, right? Look at it also. It's I'll be original, but like just like one, like maybe the cover is like a hand painted. Most of our covers are traditional. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my example. Yeah I, yeah, I get it though. But yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Look back at some of the old core rule, book, rule books, compared that to modern stuff too. And it's, lo- I mean, I love some of the old stuff, but when you compare what the art styles and what was available back 20 years ago and now, we're spoiled. We, we, we're, I think fans and, and myself were spoiled getting great art all the time now. Our expectations are a lot higher now, are a lot higher now I think. So we demand that it's got to be good every page now, and not just a couple good pics, you know, in, in one book. So, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And yeah, keep asking that question. There's nothing wrong with that question, because the more you guys demand of me, the more I try and fix things. But it is possible. It anytime yeah. you see, uh, anytime you see someone uh, abusing Photoshop and, and just falling back on filters, it's not necessary. You can you can attain this a painted look, a traditional painted look that way. So yeah. I have guys I mean I, I have guys literally who they will send me files and I go, Awesome, that's beautiful. I hate to ask for a change because I know you'll have to do a lot of work because I think it's traditional. And they go, No, 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 it's digital. Mm-hmm. It won't be that bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so many of the pictures I see My answer is my answer is going to be I'd love to. Uh, it just depends on how much time I'm given. So, you know, I'd, we kind of touched on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to touch on it even more. I mean, is, is 
excuse me, as deep a dive as I can do, I'd love to do. Uh, as we go through of our products, I mean, we'd like to sit here and start showing more everyday stuff, and so that will definitely be a, a part of it. Whether it makes it into the World Bible, we'll see. So, I'd love to, yes. It's just a matter of time and money, and I don't always have both. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, so, so one of the wonderful any award-winning products last night was the thousand NPCs, and uh, I would love to have an, a product similar to that, where it's here's the here's the library of a thousand NPCs visually. Yeah, no, I'd love to have that. One of the biggest struggles I always have all the time is I I can dream up of a million books that are art books you know, that are just filled with art. Uh, the hardest push I ever have is. Those are really expensive to pay for, um, and it's always that that hard sell to get my brand teams to understand what are people willing to pay for them, you know. And so that's the kind of stuff. Again, feedback from you guys is really important to us, you know, either to me or to the R and D guys or whatever. If there's stuff you want to see, put it out there and, and throw on there. I'd love to see this, and I'd be willing to pay sixty bucks for it, or I'd love to see this, and I'd be willing to pay, because that gives us information to go back to our teams and say. There's a there's a, a desire for this, and this is what they're willing to pay for it, so that then they can, we can talk, say, how can we make that financially feasible? Because we have no desire not to give you that kind of stuff. We have tons of desire to give it to us. It's that idea of trying to figure out how we make it financially feasible, so that we, as an entity, can still survive financially, make it affordable for you guys, so that you want to buy it, and it's useful. You know, so it's always that 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 finding that balance and making that game work because. I'd love to say, you know, I want to do, I want to do art books left and right. I want to have books full of stuff that you just look at them and go flip, 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 and have fun with them. Look at them day after day after day, because I love art. I'd buy every damn art book I could produce. Um, they're not going to sell it just to me though. So I need to have other people saying, John, yeah, I want to, I want a book that's nothing but here's the world of Faerun and. Here's all the cultures, and it's just got pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff, you know. Or here's a book just on Waterdeep, and it shows me every building and all the different art styles. And hey, here's this, here's this cool bar, and here's the here's the uh, the shrine of this guy, and here's the you know, awesome. That'd be cool, yeah. you know. Kickstarter, collector's yeah. editions. <laughs> yeah. Kickstarter. Used to run the websites during third edition. They did the piece yeah. of portraits, or yeah. Yeah, and we still, I mean, we still do all the galleries and stuff, but there's a difference between making somebody say, I have to dig through all your galleries to pull together these 500 pieces of art so I can have this collection of stuff, and versus being able to offer it. You know, one of the big things that we're looking at as we go forward into into fifth edition is, or D&D Next, or whatever you want to call it, is the idea of saying, we still got a little time, is saying, how do we take assets that we create every day. Because one of the things right now is we're a very print-dependent world. 
we are. And so when I order art, I order art for the sense of it fits into this product. And then I order this piece of art for this product, and I order this piece of art for that product. And one of the big things I've been discussing is the fact that I need to get out of that model and start saying, I'm creating art that's good for the brand, not art that's good for this product, so that I can take these assets put them into a giant database somewhere, and then make them so that it makes it really easy for me to say, okay, I need a thousand NPCs, I've already got them in the database, I pull them together, I put, put them together, and I make a product. I don't have to create a million different things right off the bat, it makes it much more affordable. So, those are discussions that are going on. 18 months from now, you might see something, I don't know, but yeah, so, but still it goes back to the idea of give us feedback. If there's something you want to see, just don't tell us what you're interested in seeing. Tell us what you're interested in seeing and what you pay for it. I know that's, I hate to say that, it sounds so, you know, corporate. <laughs> but but it's just the way it is, you know. It's hard for me to say, yes, people are willing to do it. Because they, you know, my corporate guys will say, you know, the bean counters will say, yes, well, what are they willing to pay? I'm sure they'll only pay twenty nine ninety five, And I'm going, no, 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 they'll probably pay 50, 60 bucks. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. They'll pay 15, 20 dollars maybe. And I'm like, no, really, 70 or 80 dollars. And you're like, no, I think it'll be five dollars. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and oh, by the way, you get a you get a dollar ninety five for an art budget. <laughs> so um, I'll do it. So yeah, just give feedback's awesome. Whatever you got. So something was said earlier about um, kind of the standard of beauty in Did different you say cultures. It? I think I this one <laughs> and this might be actually something for James Wyatt to actually feedback for him. Yeah. But I think that would be something very interesting to include with some of the cultures of whether they're human or monsters. And I'm thinking along the lines of whether it's tattooing or piercing or scarring. Because all of the characters that you saw, even some of the ones from different cultures that we've been seeing, kind of all look very Western, kind of standard of beauty. I don't see, you know, scarring and piercing and tattoos and all of those types of things. I didn't show you everything, and by the way. That also, <laughs> I can see that also being true of monsters. And someone else said something that I'm wondering about, because, and that would be goblins, for example. If you have goblins that live in a jungle versus mm -hmm. goblins that live in a temperate climate versus goblins that live in an Arctic climate, and that would be true of all the goblinoids, I guess, whether or not you've been looking at how they would appear or yeah. So, so awesome. You brought up a lot of great points. Um, so most of the cultures that you saw here were limited to the heartlands. So just to, let me put that in a little bit of context because when you sit here and say they had the Western ideal, you're right. Uh, these guys actually worked on a race which I didn't show you and a whole different culture which has a very different non-Western look of beauty, very, very non-standard. Um, and we... Huh? Elaborate. No. <laughs> Read my article. It'll be coming out soon enough. Um, so we, we wanted to push that because I'm, I agree with you. Again, this, my thing is everybody shouldn't just be a Renfair knockoff. Everything shouldn't just be that I'm used to this, so it should be normal. No, if I get into other cultures, I mean, look around our world. There's other cultures. Scarification is normal. Tattooing is normal. Facial, you know, facial alterations is normal. When we look at the world, that's the same thing that James and I have been talking about. How do we integrate those types of those different taboos and those different standards into the visual field? Okay, thank you. We got five minutes. I'll talk fast. Um, 
And so, yeah, we're definitely trying to integrate that. James is aware of that. I push him on that stuff constantly, you know, um, just because that's my visual thing. Writers don't always think visually, so I try and push them visually. Um, some writers do because they're both visuals and writers. Audio's up here in front. Um, and then, what was your second one? Oh, I Goblinoids. Yes. So I completely buy into that one too. We were having the same exact discussion on the owl bears here because I was saying, if I have an owl bear that lives in a forest, awesome, he looks like this. I have an owl bear that lives up in the tundra. Well, if he's walking around like this, that'd just be silly. So why wouldn't he look more like a polar bear owl bear? You know, and if I have an owl bear that's down in the southern tropics, wouldn't it look kind of like a honey bear owl bear? And would you know, blah blah blah. You get the idea. I mean, yeah, I completely agree with it. Cultural environmental changes should affect the races just as much. The monsters, the creatures, the humans, the races. You know, all across the world, you should have that environment plays a key. If I just take an owl bear and drop it in every place in the world, no matter where you're at on Faroon or Terrell or whatever you're going to be, it doesn't make sense to sit here and say it looks exactly the same. I mean, if you look at, if I go around the United States and look at squirrels, they don't even look all the same. <laughs> you know, so why should they look the same all around the world? So yeah, we're definitely looking at that idea. Got one over here. One last one, and then we got to break it up. I hope this is quick. Um, do you have any open discussions around typeface and font? Yes, I will. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I will have an open discussion about typeface and fonts. I'll have an open discussion about page layout. I'll have an open discussion about colors and textures. We're gonna have we're gonna have an ongoing discussion. I love discussions. Okay, <laughs> really fast. I know you said Bible. Does it have stats in it? Uh, no, this Bible will not be related to stats. This Good. is strictly about the world and storytelling. Question for everyone here, how much would you be willing to pay $60 for a visual Bible by a show of hands? How big is it? Yeah, how big is it? <laughs> 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 Eight feet tall. <laughs> yes. yes, I will. Actually, actually, let's put it into a better, let's put it into a bigger one. If I had a 600-page book that showed me every monster in D&D, that showed not just their picture, not just their stats, but it also showed their classes and their world and their lore and their background, you pay, what would you pay for that? Hundred dollars. Hundred dollars? Let's say above fifty. Above fifty. Okay. Above seventy. Above a hundred. Getting questions. Yeah. Wow. Above hundred and fifty. Yeah. Well, you went. You went. I would put it out more like a monster manuals, right? I mean, like you guys are. What? It's thirty-five bucks or forty bucks for a monster manual. Yeah, but that's that's not every monster in D and D. No, but you have, but like, let's say you have five, right? So you guys are making two hundred bucks off the people that are buying them for forty bucks a pop. So if you got a six hundred page book, yeah, well, two hundred bucks, you guys aren't willing to draw more than hundred bucks on a six hundred page book, right? That's uh, yeah, it's hard. It's harder to make that. It's hard to convince people to sit here and make that analogy sometimes. So it's easier for me to sit here and say, if it's that book, how much do you pay? Right. You know. If I sit here and show you a book that thick and you put it next to four books, right. it's awesome if I can, but I can't do it in the store and say, here's this book you want to buy, here's the sticker, and here's four small books. This is a great deal, really. Nobody makes that leap in the store. It's it's all about, I look at it and go, yeah, it's worth it. So yeah. You could make your analogy by page. What would you pay per page? Because I know in a book like what you described. Yeah, that's hard to, that's hard to jump to. You can't do that in the store. Yeah. So, awesome. Great stuff, though. Thank you very much, guys.